All right. Well, we are in Genesis. Wave goodbye to the kids as they go to study God's Word back there for them. We're excited for them. Our scripture this morning is Miss Linda Dement. Mrs. Linda Dement. Come on up here, Linda, and give us a, a reading of God's Word. How are you doing this morning? Did you have fun last night? All right. Here we go. Um, so Genesis chapter 6, verse 9. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, or was it? and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. And its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it, finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in, the, in its in, inside. <laughs> make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. Of the birds, oh, sorry, that's all right, they shall be male and female. Of the, bird, of the birds according to their kinds, and of the birds according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind, two of every sort shall come in, in to you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Then the Lord said to Noah, go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate. And seven pairs of the birds of the heavens also, male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth forty days and forty nights, and every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Noah was six hundred years old when the flood of waters came upon the earth. And Noah, and Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood of clean animals and of animals that are not clean and of birds and of everything that creeps on the earth on the ground two and two male and female went into the ark with noah as god had commanded noah and after seven days the waters of the flood came upon the earth in the 600th year of noah's life in the second month on the seventh day of the month 
On that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of heaven of the heavens were opened. And rain fell upon the earth forty days and forty nights. On the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem and Ham and Japheth, and Noah's wife, and the three wives of his sons with them, entered the ark. They and every beast according to its kind, and all the livestock according to their kinds. And every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, every winged creature. They went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh, in which there was the breath of life. And those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. The flood continued forty days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the, of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them fifteen cubits deep. And all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind. Everything on the dry land, in whose nostrils was the breath of life, died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground. Man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, they were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth a hundred and fifty days. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you, Linda. That was a lot of verses. You did great. About 14 years ago, I was on a jury trial uh, for a murder case. In fact, um, it was the murder of a newborn baby, and there was three murder trials connected with it. There was the mother of the child, there was the grandmother of the child, and there was the mother's brother or uncle of the child. All three had separate trials for murder. I was on the jury for the murder trial of the brother of the mother of the baby. And here's what the sad situation was. This girl, a young girl, had hidden her pregnancy the whole term from her family. Uh, she was a minority family. The father of the baby was a different type of minority. And so there, they, this, the, fa the father of this girl was very racist against this other minority group. And so she hid her pregnancy because she knew her dad would blow a gasket if he found out that she was pregnant with a, another minority's child. And so... In the middle of the night, she went into the bathroom thinking she was going to use the bathroom, and then she basically gave birth there on the bathroom floor. The mother, her mother, heard the child, her, her, her daughter struggling in the bathroom. She goes in there, and she sees a baby is born. We don't know whether the baby was born alive or not. I mean, normally it is, but the, the mom proceeded to put the baby in a trash bag, handed the trash bag to the brother and said, go throw this in a dumpster. And so our job as the jury was, and this was the law, the law was if he had a reasonable suspicion to believe that the baby could have been alive, he's liable for murder. That our, we, as a jury, we were charged with, would anybody who is reasonable and in the right mind take a look in the bag to see if the baby is alive or not? He just said he did what his mom told him and threw it in the dumpster. And my belief 
along with two other ladies on this jury trial, was any reasonable adult should have looked in the bag. The other nine people said, yeah, that's reasonable, but if we say that, he's going to go to jail for murder, and, it, and that doesn't seem fair. And I'm like, that's not our job. That's the law. We're not here to make law. We're here to, to decide, did he have reason to believe the baby was already dead, or was it reasonable to check? And they're like, yeah, but, but, but. I'm like, why are we saying, yeah, but, when the, when the judge has already told us, jury, here's your job. And so we were hung there for a while. And so I, uh, I suggested to them, I said, okay, obviously, if we are hung on this jury, another jury may just let him walk, which I think is wrong. You guys agree that he deserves to be punished some way, somehow. Let's do this. Let's go to the second charge and find him guilty. But then when we get to go to the sentencing phase, let's throw the book at him, give him a maximum sentence, because that was going to be on our, our purview as well. But before we could even get that discussion, the Attorney General, uh, Jenny Yuri at the time, uh, not the Attorney, the, the um, District Attorney, could tell we were hung, and so she did a plea bargain, and he got a year's probation. This was an incredibly frustrating and disappointing situation to be in because I thought, man, how many people are walking off scot-free because juries won't do what they're told? And, and, and just, you know, that, our jury system is a great system, but it's only as good as the people who make it up. And democracy, as President George Washington said, democracy was designed, a democratic republic was designed for a Christian people, and it, it cannot survive with any other. And so we're seeing our country fall apart because we can't handle democracy, we can't handle juries, we can't handle a lot of things. But what was very frustrating was to be in a room full of what you thought was reasonable adults and feel like you're standing, almost me and two other ladies, standing beside not, uh, nine against three. And we felt really, really alone in that situation and helpless to prevail against the evil. And I, how do you think Moses, I mean, how do you think Noah felt? We're talking about a world population of probably eight billion, seven to eight billion, our best estimates. And now a family of eight is the only righteous people going on the ark. One of the fascinating things I learned this week was if you study the dimensions of the ark and the number of animals that went on and, and what the approximation of what they could have built the rooms, because it's an ark full of rooms, there was, as me, best estimates are, several empty rooms on the ark. Why? Because Noah was preaching, hey, come, come, but no one did. So God was being faithful to his promise. He, he wouldn't have Noah build an ark with no room for just eight and then tell people. That would be a bogus promise, wouldn't it? But there was probably empty rooms on the ark because people did not come. And very possibly, as we learned last week, that Noah's older two sons weren't on the ark, nor the grandchildren. So Noah had children and grandchildren, very likely, out there that were dying in the flood. So we're going to look at, at this passage of Scripture. There's a lot of Scripture, as Linda read for us, thankfully. Uh, we're going to divide it into just a few eight categories. First of all, we're going to talk about righteous Noah in a, in a corrupt world. We're also going to talk about the flood of judgment and the ark of salvation. And then our third thing will be a comparison and contrast between Noah and Jesus. Noah and Jesus. But let's start with righteous Noah and this very corrupt world. It says that, that Noah was a righteous man. 
And now, some of you may be automatically thinking, as soon as you hear the word righteous, you may be thinking from Romans 3.10, there is none righteous, no, not one, right? And so it's all about context. Noah's not being compared to Jesus. He's being compared to the world around him. And if, not, if Noah is righteous, it's only because of the righteousness of God, which is what Romans chapter 4 says. That it talks about Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. So anyone in this room who is righteous before God, it's not because of what you've done or what I've done. It's because of what Christ has done, and he not only takes our sin away from us at the moment of salvation, he gives all of his righteousness to us. So we go from being spiritually bankrupt with no capability of repaying God ever to being where the debt is wiped away. It doesn't just leave us at zero, but he deposits infinite righteousness into your account. You ought to feel an incredible relief off your shoulders for that. <laughs> that you stand before God knowing that all the righteousness of Jesus Christ is in your account. Now, you could get any letter from the IRS this week saying, oh, we're auditing you and we estimate that you owe $68,000. If you're a billionaire, you're like, whatever, here you go. You know? But if you're like you are right now, you'd be like, ah, that's going to destroy me. Okay? Think about your debt of sin. It's been erased. Not only has it been erased, but you have an infinite amount of righteousness of Christ in you. And that, that's a great position to be in, amen? But it says he was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Now, that does not mean perfect. The word blameless, it's the same word in English and the same word in the Septuagint that Paul sa says to Timothy is a qualification of a pastor. In other words, not perfect, but his general reputation is good. He's not known as a scoundrel or a violent man or a womanizer or any of those things. Noah was known in his generation. So he's not only righteous in the eyes of God, he's righteous in the, in the, in the people around him, which is so important. Because let me tell you something, if you're not living in a blameless way, you don't have a platform to stand on. It's very difficult to share the gospel if you're being hypocritical in another area. In fact, that's the number one reason that unbelievers cite that they don't, go, they don't go to church or they don't want to believe in God is because they talk about hypocrites, which that's a whole other discussion we've talked about before. But it's the qualification of, of pastors. And, it's a, and so this uh, blameless in his generation, why was he blameless in his generation? Because you can insert that thought there that Noah walked with God. You will not have a good reputation in life unless you're walking with God. You're going to stumble, you're going to fall, you're going to fail. But what holds Noah up is the same God that holds you and I up, walking with God. And we talked about that last week when we talked about Enoch. And if you missed last week's message, which a lot of people did, uh, go back online and watch that about how to walk with God. It's an amazing process there. So Romans 3.22, as we mentioned a moment ago, the righteousness of God, it's not ours, it's the righteousness of God that's through faith when you trust Christ what he did on the death, burial, and resurrection, what he did on the cross, if you believe in that, God's righteousness is put into your account. So Noah had three sons, and that doesn't mean he only had three sons. It didn't use the word only. Okay, I could say I have five daughters. I'm not saying those are the only kids I have. I, I, by the way, I, you, know, you, know, you know, I have three Jessicas. We've heard this story before, right? I have a biological Jessica. Back there is my adopted Jessica. But, and then I have a, a daughter-in-law Jessica. But I just thought about it this morning that really I have a, a fourth Jessica who's my spiritual daughter, and she's here this morning. Where's Jessica? Jessica, didn't I baptize you? Were you the one I baptized, or who am I thinking of? No? Okay. 
Okay, wait, I thought I asked that. Which one are you? I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Isabel, Isabel, I'm so sorry. I asked that about, he got confused. He didn't hear me. All right, so I, I also baptized Isabel. Okay, it's good to have you this morning. Give Isabel a hand. Sorry I botched the name. I, all right, anyway, that's been how many years ago? Gosh, that's like 20 years ago I baptized you, right? Anyway, okay, so now it goes on. See, I told you I'm not perfect. Right? <laughs> Verse 11 says, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight. This word corrupt in English, I don't think it's as strong as the picture that the Hebrew is trying to paint. How many of you like strawberries? Yeah, strawberries are amazing. That's like God's candy. I mean, it's, it's really good. When they're, when they're good, they're great, right? And, uh, and especially when they're big and plump and you, you make strawberry shortcake and you put some, a little bit of whipped cream on them, whatever you do. But you know what? When they rot and they're corrupt, <laughs> does that look so appetizing? No, no, you, those go in the trash can. You don't even want to touch the container. You just want to wash your hands three times after you've disposed of them. And this is what God says the world was like. It was rottening from the inside out. It was just like disgusting. And what was disgusting? We're not talking about the trees and the animals. We're talking about the people created in the image of God. The people created in the image of God who should have been like this Something beautiful, something sweet, something pleasant, something beneficial. Have, ha, these human beings had become like this, rottening from the inside out. And that's what sin does to us. We dabble in sin because Satan has fed us this lie like, it's fun, it's great, it'll make you happy. And it does for a season. The Bible says sin is pleasurable for a season. But in the end, this is what it brings forth. It brings forth death. It brings forth corruption. And so it keeps saying this word corrupt over and over again. It was corrupt in God's sight. The people all thought they were fine, but in God's sight, it was not. And, and the fruit of this corruption, the result of this corruption, was that the earth was filled, filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. He says it again. And all the flesh or human beings had corrupted their way on the earth. So what had come on the inside of their heart, the corruption error, was now corrupting their whole lifestyle, which was corrupting the whole planet, and the end result was violence. Violence, violence, and violence. And there's actually a chiasm in this short passage right here. It talks about the earth and ends with the earth. And they're not talking about, again, planet earth. We're talking about the population of the earth. And the population of the earth was corrupt. It was corrupt. And then he gives the reason why. For all flesh had corrupted their ways. And then he goes on to say, it was in God's sight that he saw this corruption. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. And so the way we find out what's the most important part of the passage is what's the middle of the chiasm. It was filled with violence. The main part of this passage right now is that the world was filled with violence. Does that sound familiar? Um, in fact, look at the connection here. The corruption caused the violence. Now, if you ask the average psychologist today, the average school teacher, the average politician, what causes violence? Oh, uh, poverty. Poverty causes violence. Really? Was there riots in the streets during the Depression? Don't remember learning that in history. Of course, they don't even teach history today in schools accurately. But pop, you can go to some of the poorest places in the world. And we've been there. We've been to Ghana where the unemployment rate is 53%. 53%. People walking around, grown men walking around everywhere, desperate to find a job, doing things. We were, Lauren, remember we were building houses over there in Ghana, and they had the, 
the, um, the mason, the, ma- the skilled master mason, okay, he had an assistant, and they had some workers. Those three categories were being paid. But then there was guys helping the workers for free, and there was guys helping them for free in line, hoping eventually to work their way up to a paid position. So these guys were there helping us eight hours a day, busting their tails for free in hopes to eventually get a job where they could get paid. That's how bad it was. And yet those were the nicest, kindest people in the world. They shared their food with us. You can go to Guatemala, Honduras. You can go to all different places in the world. You will not find that violence is always a result of poverty. But yet that's what our world tells us. You know, if you're oppressed, if, if you're poor, if you're miseducated, whatever, it's all like, No, you know what causes violence? Sinful, corrupt hearts. And that's us too. You know, just because you're middle class doesn't mean you have sinful, you don't have a sinful, corrupt heart. We all do. We might demonstrate it in different ways. But we cannot blame people's violence on, oh, they were just mistreated or they were just uh, misrepresented or whatever it may be. People have to, we all know pe- people who've made it out of the ghetto, who've made it out of the hood, who've made it out of poverty. And they would look back and say, hey, I had to work my way out. I, I, I found Christ. I, I mean, we, went, we just went to the funeral of Rakeem Robinson. Rakeem Robinson grew up in the hood. Family was on welfare the entire time. He was in a bad school system. He grew up around violence and all things. Even his own family members were doing wrong. Yet Rakeem determined, I'm not going to be part of that. And he went on, got a scholarship to Liberty University, got his degree, got his master's, and he was working on his PhD at the University of Florida. Came from the lowest bracket. He could have said, oh, I could, t- I could turn over cars and set things on fire too, but he chose not to. Sin is a choice. And so what we see here is, look in America, murder. Let's just look at murder for a second. 16,425 murders per year in the United States. That means 45 per day. That means almost in every single state average, there's a murder happening. 1.3 every hour murder in the United States. Let's look at aggravated assault. 944,800 per year. That's insane. 2,588 per day, which equals 108 every hour someone is being uh, assaulted physically in the United States. Would you say the earth is full of violence? It's, it's getting there. In fact, here's another statistic from Rain website. Every 68 seconds, an American is sexually assaulted. I, you know what? As I was studying this week, I, I realized, you know what, Gary? You're numb. These statistics weren't even bothering me. I had to stop and think about it, ask God for forgiveness that I'm becoming that callous of just like, this is just normal in America. And the world is becoming full of violence. Why is that important? Because Jesus says, as the days of Noah were, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. So the, the earth was corrupt. The earth was filled with violence. And this was the fruit of the corruption of man's heart. So let's look at the flood of judgment and the ark of salvation. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh. Again, all peoples, the way he's using the word flesh. The earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth talking about the surface of the earth. He said, make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. And to this day, we have no idea what gopher wood is. (laughs) We don't. People can say cypress wood, but nobody really knows. It it really doesn't matter. I don't think it has anything to do with Bucky's, though. Although that would be really biblical, wouldn't it? If if Bucky's was even back then, that would be crazy. And that Bucky's would be the salvation. I could go off of Bucky's for a while there. Anyway, make rooms in the ark. 
And what's beautiful here is he says, make rooms in the ark. And in John chapter 14, he had just told his disciples, hey, I'm going to be crucified, and, and, but I will rise again. And they all became panicked. And he said, hey, don't let, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. It's often translated mansions, but that doesn't make any sense. In my Father's house are many mansions. No, in my Father's house are many rooms, okay? And, and so here is the ark of salvation. In the ark, God says, Noah, build some rooms, just like Jesus did. We'll talk about that more in a second. He said, and cover it with pitch to make it waterproof, obviously. And he says, this is how you're to make it. And he gives specific details on how the ark would be made. He talks about the length. And if you want to know what a cubit is, it's from a man's elbow to his fingertip. And the standard, there's two standards of cubits in the past, but one was 18 inches and one was 20 inches. But just think of any measurement and times it by one and a half. So the 300 cubits would be how many feet? 450, good for you who passed math there. So um, the breadth of it, 50 cubits would be how many feet? Oh, we're doing good here. With, even Patrick's not even here, you guys are getting this right. This is amazing. Uh, then the height of it, 30 cubits would be how many feet? 45, good job. Some of you are going, huh, what? <laughs> anyway, Noah's Ark was the focus of a 1993 study headed by Dr. Sean Hong um, at the Ship Research Center in Creso. Creso is the, Korea, the Korean Research Institute of Oceanography based in Daejeon, South Korea. Dr. Hong's team compared 12 halls of different proportions. They're trying to figure out which way, what would be the most seaworthy vessel. And so to discover a design which was most practical. No hall shape was found to be more significantly out to outperform the 4,000-year-old biblical design. In fact, the, the ark's careful balance is easily lost if proportions are modified, rendering in the vessel either unstable, prone to fracture, or dangerously uncomfortable. The research team found that the proportions of Noah's ark carefully balanced the conflicting demands of stability, which was resistance and capsizing, and comfort or seat-keeping, and strength. In fact, the ark has the same proportions as a modern cargo ship. The study also confirmed that the ark could handle waves as high as 100 feet or equivalent to a 10-story building. This is before computers, before any type of science or anything like that regarding all this. Noah didn't figure this out. Noah didn't even live near water. Noah didn't live near any... Uh, body of water anywhere nearby within hundreds of miles. So this was not on Noah. This was the God of the universe who designed the universe, designed the perfect vessel to, to endure a flood. In fact, there are more than 200 cultures around the world that have their own account of the flood story all around the world. And some people say, well, it was a local flood or it wasn't a literal flood. Then why are cultures all around the world to this day still talk about the flood? Um, 88% of those 200 cultures describe a favored family aboard the ark. 70% attribute the survival to a boat or, or something like an ark. 95% say that the sole cause of the catastrophe was a flood. It wasn't anything else but just a flood. 66% of those 200 cultures say the disaster was due to man's wickedness. 67% recorded that animals were also saved on the ark. 57% described the survivors end up on a mountaintop. But wasn't it just a local flood? <laughs> How is it that histor history all around the world talks about this thing? You say, well, Gary, why didn't 100% of all of them say that? Well, some of them left the details out. 
And then someone were a victim of the telephone game as it transcribes oral, through oral tradition, things get changed, but the Bible maintains to be accurate. And so look at here, you answer this question yourself. Was it a local flood? The waters prevailed, which this word prevailed is also used several times in the Old Testament when it talks about an army defeating another army. God was using the flood as an army of water to fight against the weakness of the world, and they won. They won overwhelmingly. The waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all, everybody say all, all the high mountains under the whole heaven, everything under heaven, were covered. I think that makes it pretty clear that it was not a local flood. It was a worldwide universal flood. In fact, it says the waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits. Ashley, how many feet? 22.5, there you go, cubic sea. So the highest mountaintop had 22 and a half feet of water above it. Now, let me ask you a question. Who gave that statistic? It wasn't Noah. Where's he at? He's inside the ark. It wasn't somebody swimming by going, hey, buddy, Noah, by the way, it's 22 and a half feet. <laughs> See you later. I don't think that's the way it happened, you know. God gave this statistic. Right? And God's the one precisely giving all this detailed information. So the, the, the flood was God's judgment upon the earth. So let, now let's look at this whole story. And, and there is an amazing contrast here between Noah and Jesus. Noah and Jesus. Um, turn the volume down that for me. So this is the Ark Encounter. Turn it way down. Uh, up in Kentucky. And what was interesting is a few years ago, I was teaching on Noah's Ark in class, and it was Matt that goes, so like, that's real? And I'm like, yeah, this is real. I said, in fact, there's a whole exhibit up in Kentucky. But that, I think it was that Wednesday, Matt texted me and goes, evidently Noah, not only an ark, he had a zip line. <laughs> and, and Matt and James were up in there. They went up that week and saw it. And, uh, and it's pretty impressive, huh, Matt? So this is a replica, very, very accurate in dimensions. Now, on the inside, it's not completely accurate because there's room for a lot of tourists to walk around, okay? But it does give an idea of what the rooms would be like, the animal shelters would be like. Man, if you're thinking about your next family vacation, this is on our list. This is number one. This would be an amazing thing to see. And uh, it, it just shows you the science of the ark and everything about it, about how this was, this was not just some little boat with giraffes sticking out. You know how the little baby pictures show all these little animals on the top deck? It just shows you historically this was a, a vessel built to last and to survive a flood. And it shows amazing replicas of all kinds of things there. In fact, let's talk about Noah's Ark here. 510 feet long, approximately. One and a half football fields. Guys, put, you, that gives you a little more perspective. You could park three space shuttles on the deck of the Ark from nose to tail. In fact... It would be the equivalent of four-story four building, okay? And if you were to put 18-wheelers, 415 18-wheelers of cargo could fit aboard Noah's Ark. That's why it took 120 years to build. <laughs> it was quite the accomplishment. And yet, the science is there. Those dimensions, as you just saw, scientists still emulate those for cargo ships today. So he says it's going to have a lower second and third deck at three decks. And again... There's not any boats up to this point. There's only one massive continent. Noah was near, not, nowhere near either shore. Okay? And many people believe, the Bible doesn't say this, but many people believe there was 
Rain had not been experienced then because there was a mist that went around the whole world. It was kind of like the greenhouse effect. Okay, and so the canopy around the world, that was part of the rain collapsing. And then there was, we don't have the same canopy or ozone layer that we did back then. But these three decks were part of the design. And it says, but I will establish my covenant. Now here's his covenant that, that I'm going to promise that I'll protect you and I'll get you through this flood and I will not destroy the world again with water. Next time it'll be with fire. And I'm inviting you to come into the ark. And it's interesting that Noah and his sons, they could have done all this to build the ark and then say, I don't know if I want to get in that thing. They still had to take a step of faith and to get in the ark and to trust God. They trusted God to build it all along the way. And now they had to trust God by getting in the ark. So there's three arks in the Bible. Who can help me name them? Who, name one of the arks in the Bible. The ark of the covenant, right? And then Moses had an ark. So there's Noah's ark. Moses was put in a little tiny ark. And then there's the ark of the covenant. Ark literally means a box to save something in. We might call it a treasure chest. It's a box to save something in. Moses was saved in a little type basket type box covered, and I'm sure she put it in pitch as well. Noah's Ark was just nothing but a big box. It wasn't meant to sail in any direction. It was meant to just toss and turn and survive, you know, because there's no, there's no sails on it. There's no rudder. There's nothing like that. It was a box meant to survive. And of course, the Ark of the Covenant had what in it? had the commandments of Moses in it, had Aaron's rod that budded, it had manna, and all those different things there. They're all pictures of Jesus Christ, all pictures of salvation, and that, especially the law being inside, and then a cover on top with the mercy seat on top, which is where the blood was sprinkled. It showed that Jesus' blood covered our inability to keep the law. You see that? Because how many of you keep the Ten Commandments? Zero of us, Right? And so therefore, because we failed, that is hidden in the box and the blood covers that. And so that's the picture. So all these three are a picture of Jesus Christ. In verse 19, it says, And every living thing of all flesh you shall bring two uh, of every sort. And so some translations say kind. If you put this in a zoological framework, it'd be family. Okay? So he didn't have to have two of every type of thing in the cat family. He just needed two felines. He didn't have to have every type of canine. He could have at least two. But something I learned this week, I'll tell you in a second, there was actually more than that. He said, so take with you every sort for food. So he had to have enough food to feed all these animals. And best estimates are, according to the Creation Research Institute, we're talking about 6,700 animals. If you take 6,700 animals with the two of some and seven of others, seven pairs that is, then you got approximately 6,700. You could represent every family of species on the planet, not counting fish because they didn't need to be on board. They had plenty of water. Um, so, and Noah did this, and he did all, everybody say all again, all that God commanded him. Com- complete obedience is important. Partial obedience is disobedience. You ever did, tell your kids to do these three things, and they did two of the three or one of the three? Like, yeah, but I did this. Yeah, but it's important that you do all. And we as human beings, our tendency is we want to pick and choose. Well, I paid God on this. Yeah, I do have this problem over here, and I'm not planning on quitting this problem over here. But look at all this other stuff I do. What if Noah had obeyed God 96%? There might be a hole in the ark, you know, or there might not be giraffes today. There's all kinds of ways that Noah could have disobeyed. 
by not following everything that God did. So nowhere is it recorded that Noah ever asked a single question about of any of this. Think about that. He tells Jonah, go preach to that great city, Nineveh. Oh, God, why do I have to go to them? They're racist. They're this. They're, they're evil. What? You know, Peter, hey, I'm going to be crucified. Oh, no, Lord, you can't do that. You know, I mean, how many characters in the Bible? David, you know, why, God, why have you forsaken me? All these different things that people ask questions. Not one time did Noah ask a single question, and he's probably given one of the greatest tasks in all the Bible. I mean, think about what he was asked to do, and he didn't have any questions. Noah's probably given one of the most difficult tasks of anyone in the entire Old Testament. Now, let's look at the third thing here. Let's do a comparison and contrast between Noah and Jesus, because this is really what it's it's pointing to. Then the Lord said to Noah, go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. So he was righteous in God's eyes. He was righteous in his generation's eyes. But being righteous before God was what matters most. And he says, and take you seven pairs. Some translations say seven because it's, it's kind of awkward in the Hebrew. It's the number seven and then it means multiples. So some people think like seven, well, that, that's a multiple number. So it must mean seven of that kind. But no, it was seven pairs because everywhere else is two by two, two by two. So he didn't just have two cows. He had seven pairs of cows. He didn't just have two dogs. He had seven types of dogs. So therefore, he could have had two dogs or two coyotes, two, and everything in the, in, the, in the canine family. So it's possible there. But it's seven pairs is what the best translations say. And then that was of the clean animals. And, and when it keeps repeating male and male its mate, male and its mate, that, that would, that would uh, eliminate the odd number. So it's, it's not seven, just seven animals, it's seven pairs, which would be consistent with the male and female pairing. So seven pairs of the birds, male and female, same pattern there. So why were, the, why were there more clean animals than unclean? Anybody have a guess? For food, later, because they're, they're still vegetarian on the ark, they weren't allowed to eat meat until after the ark. So to populate Edible animals later, yes. What's another reason? Sacrifice, good for y'all. So and we, let's fast forward to chapter 8, verse 20. Noah built an ark, built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings. So the extra animals were for burnt offerings later. And I don't think he sacrificed all of them. But if he only had two cows or, and he sacrificed, well, that's the end of cows. Be no hamburgers in the future, I guess, you know, but God provided for extra animals. So, and then he says, in seven days, I will send rain on the earth. So previously, a week prior to this, he said, in seven days, you'll get on the ark. Now he's saying, get on the ark, and in seven days, I will send rain on the earth. Can you imagine what those seven days were like? Waiting, waiting, what's going to happen? Again, he says, I'm going to send rain, and uh, you imagine, what's rain, (laughs) you know? And he's thinking, I don't hear any rain. Well, God said seven days, and they're on the ark, and, and God has sealed the doors. Like, there's no turning back now, but it's just waiting. Is this really going to happen? Is this really going to happen? And, of course, the rain lasted for 40 days and 40 nights. What else happened for 40 days and 40 nights? Jesus was tempted, right, for 40 days and 40 nights. Israel wandered in, in the wilderness for 40 years, the 40 in the Bible means a time of testing and a time of judgment. Noah's being tested, the world is being judged. 
And Jesus is being tested in the wilderness, and eventually he'll take our judgment upon himself. So here it says, and Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. Now Noah had an excuse. He was old. He's 600 years old. Now again, life is stretched out. So if we divide the hundreds into decades, he'd still be in his 60s, right? And so how many people in their 60s say, oh, I'm kind of tired now. I'm not going to serve the Lord anymore. I've already done my time. I remember when I was pastor at a church in Clute, Texas, down there where they have the Great Texas Mosquito Festival. I remember asking one of the, the, this older men if he would help with something. He's like, no, no, let one of the younger guys done it. I've already done my turn. I'm like, we, and I thought to myself, did we retire from the Lord's business? Did we ever say we're too old? Think about Moses in his 80s serving God. Noah in his 600s serving God. So whether you're 40, 50, 60, 70, or Brother Carl, you're in the 80s right? Keep serving God. Just keep serving God. Do what you can. Maybe you can't do physically as much as you used to, but it doesn't have to be physical. Just have, find something where you can encourage others and serve the Lord. So he says, and after seven days, the waters of the flood came up. And of course, we see a lot of pictures there in, in the sevens. We'll talk about that here in a second. He says, and, and that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth. See, the majority of the water came from the, below the earth. That's why scientists have ridiculed Noah's Ark for decades. Oh, there's no way there could be that much rain to cover the whole earth. The Bible never said that. The Bible said the fountains of the deep brought forth the majority of the water, and the rains came down as well. And, of course, now we start the new hydro cycle post-flood. But there's a, now, how many have ever been in a cave, like been in Missouri, like you know, hundreds of feet below? What made all those caves? They're dry now, but they used to be full of water, 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 waterous caverns, rivers flowing under the earth that all burst forth. Um, I don't recommend the movie uh, Noah. Who's that recent film? What's the actor's name? Russell Crowe. Man, there's a whole lot of fiction in that. I, I don't recommend it. I But I was tempted to show you the video of the waters bursting forth because that was pretty cool. Um, but I decided not to. Go YouTube it for yourself. Just type in Russell Crowe, Noah's Ark, water's bursting forth. And man, you just see these big holes opening up and water just shooting forth like Old Faithful, but all over the place. And people just being shot up in the air and all that stuff. And it was a very violent scene as the earth is just bursting apart here in this, in this scene. So let's talk about the comparison between Noah and Jesus. Both were preachers of righteousness. Noah warned of judgment and salvation from a flood, Jesus warned of judgment and salvation from a burning hell. Both walked faithfully with God. Jesus did, and Jesus said, I'm always doing my Father's will. Noah did all the Lord commanded. Both were used by God to establish a new covenant. Noah's covenant was to be saved from the flood and no longer flood the earth again. Jesus' covenant was that you would avoid the judgment of hell and, be, and enter into salvation with him. Because remember, in communion, Jesus says that this is the blood of the new covenant. Both men were humiliated by their own people. Noah was ridiculed in his time. Jesus came unto his own, and his own received him not. Both offered a blood sacrifice, pleasing to God. Noah, the animal, the clean animals, after he got the ark, Jesus offered himself to God. Noah provided safety with an ark of wood. Jesus provides safety with the cross made of wood. 
Noah, Noah's ark had only one door. Jesus said that he was the only one true door. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Noah and his family entered the ark and they were sealed inside. It was God that shut the door. There was only one door. And all who are in Christ Jesus are sealed in Christ by the Holy Spirit of God. And here's that verse because it's important. Ephesians 4.30 it says, that, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are what? Sealed for the day of redemption. You see, Noah probably stumbled and fell inside the ark, but he could not stumble and fall out of the ark. You know, when you're in Christ and you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you can stumble and fall and you still will, but you can't stumble out of Christ. He who is, he, he, he is faithful to keep that which I've committed to him against that day. We believe that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, that he, we are sealed to the day of redemption, like Ephesians tells us. Just like Noah and his family were sealed in the ark, we are sealed in Christ. Both sent out a dove, right? So Noah sends out the dove, which is a symbol of peace. Jesus not only has a dove that descends upon him as baptism, but what does he say? I'm going away, but I will send you another comforter, the Holy Spirit. And of course, the Holy Spirit symbolized by a dove. Seven days after Noah entered the ark, judgment waters started. Seven years after the rapture, when the church is removed, there'll be judgment coming upon the nations of the earth. There's where the sevens play in. It rained on Noah's ark for 40 days and 40 nights. Jesus was tempted in the wilderness 40 days and 40 nights. Noah's ark lifted up believers above the judgment waters on what was happening on the earth below. And watch this. This is amazing here. Jesus' church will be lifted up above the tribulation that's happening on the earth below. See how the ark is the picture of the church. The church will be taken up out of the tribulation. And while they are surviving and eating and enjoying each other in, on the ark, judgment's happening below. The flood of God's judgment. This is important came 2,000 years after the creation of life in Adam. From Adam to Noah, 2,000 years. The fire of God's judgment will come approximately 2,000 years after Christ's creation of new life by his resurrection. So here's the creation, and then Jesus brings the new creation. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Okay, So then the judgment will come, what, 2,000 years after? So let's just do a little math here. And I'm not making any predictions. Everybody say he's not making predictions. Okay. I'm not going to write a book and sell it for $9.95 a copy on Jesus is coming on October 22nd, 2026. I'm not doing that, okay? But let's just do a little math. Even in Malachi, it says Messiah will be with us, and then he will leave, and he'll be gone for two days, and then he will live in our sight for one day. And that's the week of history. So two days means 2,000 years. A, 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 a day with the Lord is as 1,000 years, 1,000 years as a day, okay? So if Jesus left this earth, the earth, in 2030, and I'm sorry, in 33 AD, which again could be off a few years. That's a whole nother discussion. So 2033 minus seven years of rapture, 2026. Not making a prediction. I'm not, nobody knows a day or an hour. I don't even know if I know the year, but all I can say is it's soon. It, I believe it will be in our lifetime. And I believe we have more reason to believe that now than we did decades before because of this right here. The, the, the flood came 2,000 years after creation. Christ's return will come 2,000 years after the new creation. Matthew 24, 37 says, For as the days of Noah, for as were the days of Noah, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Matthew 24, 38 says, For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying. Sounds pretty normal. That's all they're doing. They're going about their life without God. 
None of this involved God. They were giving a marriage. They were acting like, hey, no big deal. Noah's saying, hey, no, there's a flood coming. Like, no, no, no. We're getting married. Wedding's this Saturday, whatever. We don't care what you're saying. And then, of course, they were in a total panic after the flood started. And giving a marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. Matthew 24, 39 says, and they were unaware. That's the problem. They were unaware. But yet they were being preached to. But they were oblivious. They were willingly unaware. And the flood came and they swept them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. You see, we live in a generation of people who are willingly unaware. They don't have a clue about God. They hear all kinds of trolls on the internet telling the Bible's not true. But we see over and over again, week after week, how the Bible is scientifically and engineeringly and everything way. It's, it's accurate. It's historically, archaeologically. And I just made up a word there, engineeringly. Okay? All those things, the Bible is accurate in every single way. It says, therefore, you must, you must also be ready. My question for you this morning, are you ready? If Jesus was to come this week or next year or whatever, are you ready? The people outside the ark didn't care. Noah pled with them. They thought he was crazy. They thought he was foolish. Think about that. Millions and billions of people around, and nobody gets on the ark except for Noah, his three sons, and their wives, and Noah's wife. You know, the Bible says that broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be that travel down that road. And that the road that leads to life everlasting, everlasting is a narrow path, and few there be that find it. Christian, don't be discouraged if you feel like you're in the minority. Like I was on that jury. <laughs> like you are at your workplace. Like teenagers you are in your school or in your, on your street. You know, there's nothing wrong with being a minority. Noah was. Jesus certainly was. But let me ask you, are you ready? Are you ready? For the Son of Man is coming an hour that you do not expect. Don't make the mistake of saying, well, I'll trust Christ later. Right now, I'm just having too much fun. I really don't want to be a follower of Christ. I really don't want to obey the Bible. I just kind of want to go to church and do my thing. But I really don't want to be a follower of Christ. You don't know that you may, this may be your last day. This may be your last week. Rakim was only 27 years old, died in his sleep. You have no guarantee that you will have another day. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and so can you. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Have you, tr- have you received the gift of salvation that Christ offers? I would want everybody to pray with me. Would you do that? And if you are a believer in Christ and you're a follower of Christ and you know for certain that you're saved, why not ask the Holy Spirit of God right now to open hearts? Maybe there's someone here this morning or someone watching online that's never truly trusted Christ as their Lord and Savior. Why not do that right where you're seated today? Why not put your faith in Christ? He died for you to cover all your sins. He buried all your sins in his tomb. He rose again, leaving them all behind with eternal life for all who would trust him. Why not say, Lord Jesus, I trust you right now. I believe you died for me. I believe you were buried and you rose again and that you're coming again. And I just give you my life and make you the Lord of everything. Father, thank you so much for your love. Thank you for what is not a a fable or mythology. This is historical fact, what we learned here today about Noah's flood, the evidence of archaeology all around the world, seashells found on mountaintops all over the planet. We know this is historical fact, but that the world ridicules it and denies the science of it all. 
They want to scream that they believe in science, but they ignore the archaeology and the scientific facts of Noah's flood because they want to ignore the Savior who provided all that. They ignore the cross. They ignore the resurrection. Father, I pray if there's someone here today that doesn't know you, they would trust you. And Father, I pray that we would represent Christ in this world, that we would not just remain silent, but we would speak up for what is right, as Noah did for 120 years, a preacher of righteousness. Thank you so much for Jesus, as pictured in the, in the ark. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen. Amen. If you made a decision to trust Christ today, or you have more, if you have questions about it, please contact me. I'd love to have a conversation with you. I'll take you to lunch. We'll talk about it. We'll try our best to answer your questions. And um, if you know of someone that you wish was here to hear this message or could benefit from the, the Genesis series, please invite them, pray, and en- encourage them to be here next Sunday with you. And again, there's a reading plan. It's not too late to join uh, called Origins. And you can even make Revolution Church your church on, on the app, uh, on, uh, on the Uversion app, and join us on the reading plan. Miss um, Amanda, would you like to help with questions this morning? All right, so if you have a question... You could text that in. Looks like we have a couple waiting. That's great. Um, and if you'd rather not text in, you just want to raise your hand, you certainly can do that as well. There you go. I think that's a question. Okay. Since the flood, we have seen many natural disasters like the great storm of Galveston in the 1900s, Harvey, Katrina, and Ike. Of course, no one wants to be in a natural disaster like that, but after each event, it brought people together and or changed their views of God. Could it be possible that this was a way to wash away any corruption to make earth a bit more whole? Oh, absolutely. In fact, that's that's exactly what the Lord said. He said, because the world is corrupt... I'm going to bring judgment, and he spared eight people who were righteous. And so the world started over with righteousness, but it didn't take long <laughs> for it to go in the wrong direction. Um, Noah pretty much, as I'll teach in a couple weeks, uh, went through some PTSD <laughs> and had an alcohol problems shortly after the ark landed. But yes, God's judgment is not because he's a hateful God. In fact, I forget, is it in... One of the minor prophets, I forget which one, says God takes no pleasure in the punishment of the wicked. It's not like he's like he enjoys this. He's like you parents. What do you tell your kids? This is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. <laughs> and, you and you mean it. That's what, your, that's what your parents told you, and it's true. But God takes no pleasure in punishment, but he has to. He's a just judge. So, yeah, good question. If Noah had, if Noah had family that did not go on the ark, does that mean that they thought he was stupid? Um. I would say yes, because if you think that this whole ark thing is dumb, I mean, if you're not willing to get on, somebody's spending 100 years building a vessel in the middle of nowhere, that's, that's got to be pretty dumb. But you know, what do we do as Christians, and, and how many things that the world thinks, what, you spank your kids, or you don't go to movies, or like the, the R-rated movies, or you, you don't cuss, or you don't drink, what? You know? And they, just, they look at us like we're just like a new capstone in an old gate. I mean, it just... An old caps there in Newgate. Um, they, they think, yeah, I did say that wrong. <laughs> I'm getting dehydrated. I think I'm not thinking very well. But yeah, um, I think they probably had a low opinion. I mean, I don't know that it says anywhere in the Bible people mocked him, but I think it was pretty obvious that it had to be. They didn't, they didn't heed his advice. I mean, he's saying judgment's coming. The world's going to be flooded. He's offering, think about that. He's offering them free room and board for 150 days. And they turned it down. He's offering a whole lot more than that, though, obviously, right? He's offering that they could have survived. Mm-hmm. 
And I often think about that. If, there's, if there were extra rooms on the ark, and I believe there was, mm-hmm. can you imagine being on that ark? And like, let's say you dragged your spouse on. Like, oh, I can't believe we're doing this. No, really, I believe Noah's right. I believe Noah's right. And like, okay, we'll, we'll sit on here for a week. If it doesn't start raining, we're getting off. I don't care if I have to kick the, you know, hole in the wall or whatever. I'm going to pry that door open, whatever. I'm going to get out of here. And then when the rain starts falling and it bursts up and that thing starts going like this, and then for 150 days, you're eating meals with Noah and his family. I'm like, wow, this really is real. You know, I don't know. The, the, the imagination could go pretty crazy with this. All right, others? If we're in the days like the days of Noah, where would you say we are today in relation to the story? Are we building the ark? preaching for others to come into the ark, gathering the animals, or are we waiting for seven days? Oh, good. Deep question there. Lots of metaphors there. I believe the ark is built because the ark is Christ. So we are inviting people into the ark. Um, Some of the people act like animals, so maybe that's count. I don't know. (laughs) We act like animals. I don't know. Um, Anyway, um, so yes, where are we in the stage? I don't know where the animals would come in. I I think that was just literal about the animals. I don't think there's any symbolism in that. But Christ is the ark. So we're inviting people in, and eventually the door is going to be shut, and there's no more in or out. And it'll be people's last chance. Any other questions? No Anybody have a question? All right, good deal. Yes, oh, Lorenzo. What, what were the unclean? Y'all help me. What's an un- example of an unclean animal? Snakes. Raccoons, pigs, anything that splits the hoof, hoof, there's my Yankee coming out, um, doesn't chew the cud, yeah, shellfish, of course they weren't on the ark, but I thought you're exactly right, any type of scavenger is, is, is not, which is not good for you, scavengers eat dead things, you know, that's why we don't have vulture wings, you know, there's no Chick-fil-A serving vulture, you know, we, the chicken would be the clean one, so good question. Did I see another? Leah, did you have a hand up somebody? I think that, again, is part of the symbolism of the seven-year tribulation. And so the Bible has sevens all throughout. There's seven, year, seven days of history. You know, I think the sevens are just God's completion. And I think it was also a time for them to be like, wow, is this really going to happen, you know? And he was given one more week just on that arc of, of the week because there's seven days of creation. It, there's a lot of, I'm sure there's many levels that I'm not even getting. You have one, Ashley? Yeah. That's a great idea. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I think Noah's probably like, okay, 9 a.m. tomorrow morning, a pop electric training, everybody meet in the, in the deck, deck two, room 202, okay, and then have training, yeah. And also, I didn't mention this earlier, but um, a lot of zoological people who believe in, in, in the Noah's flood believe that God induced a um, hibernation mode amongst the animals so they didn't have to eat as much, so... And, of course, a lot of animals do hibernate. A lot of animals hibernate when there is trauma happening on the world around them. They do hibernate automatically. So they probably would have went into hibernation mode and not had to eat as much. 
And so I don't know if Noah part figured that into his calculations on how much food. Who knows? But 415 18-wheelers, uh, um, what do you call it, the trailers, could fit the, that amount of cargo on the, on the thing. So that's a lot of food, a lot of animals, a lot of space. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, a common skeptical question, and, it, and we're talking about people with PhDs ask this. Well, how could Noah go out and get that many different you know, species? Well, first of all, it wasn't species. And number two, the Bible says he didn't go out and get them. What, is, what did the Bible say happened? God brought them to him. They came. They came. So, I, and again, have you ever noticed, like my dogs, they can tell a storm is coming long before we do. My dogs will start looking for a dark closet or somewhere. They come in and they, they do not. And I'm like, what are you so nervous about? And then 30 minutes later, it's raining. You know, dogs sense those things. I'm sure animals had that instinct in them that, hey, something's about to go down here. You know, and they may have came to the one place that was offering shelter. Anyway, how can we believe in a God that can walk on water, but he can't make animals do that? I mean, that's one of the things. This, I'll close with this. I think that there are, it says that God confounds the wise with foolishness. Talking donkeys, animals on a boat, a 40-day flood, a man walking on water, feeding 5,000, rising from the dead. It's like, oh, come on, how can you believe that? You have to have faith as a child, even though it's scientifically proven, but you still have to say, you know what, do you believe in a God who can do this or not? I mean, if he can speak the world into existence in six days, he can't do all these other miracles. I think some of these miracles are in the Bible to make people have to humble themselves and say, yes, I actually do believe in a Noah's Ark. Yes, I actually do believe that Balaam's donkey talked. Yeah, yeah, I do believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Yeah, I do believe that. And you have to side on the, on the side of the childlike stories in the Bible and go against the science who says, oh, that's none of that's true, and a man can become pregnant. Hello, whose science are we trusting, you know? And that's the way we'll end our sermon today. Okay, let's stand and pray.